0: morning today is tuesday august 30th and you're listening to thy strong word the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which god bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith i'm your host pastor phil boo of saint john lutheran church in laverne minnesota thank you for tuning in how do you listen to the show there are so many ways over the air Online at KFUO.org, using the KFUO app, or on your favorite podcasting app. No matter how you connect, I'm glad you're here. Settle in. Turn up that radio just a little. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you get the time, visit them over at lhfmissions.org. When I went to Haiti as a young man, I wished that I had had some sort of A book that I could share with the Haitian people. And then when I went as an adult, as a Lutheran pastor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation provided me a whole box of small catechisms in Haitian Creole. They were so well received. Visit them. See what they do. Now, if you have questions or comments about today's show, maybe you just want to say hello to me. You can email me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. But you know what? The show's live on Tuesdays and Fridays. That's today. So call in with your comments or questions if you'd like. That number is 1-800-730-2727. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, last time we gathered, we heard the first part of Romans chapter 11 through verse 24. There, St. Paul assured his hearers that God had not abandoned the Jews, only that salvation comes not through works, but through grace. A remnant of faithful Jews remains. And here the apostle used the imagery of an olive tree. The natural branches are the faithful Jews. The Gentiles God brings into the faith are like wild olive shoots grafted in, but they are all one tree with Christ at his root. Beautiful. Now, today, we're going to cover the remaining verses, 25 through 36, and we're going to hear about a mystery. Now, these are a few short, these are a few less verses than last time we got together. But the mystery is how the hardening of the Jews served to usher in the Gentiles. And what does this mean for the future of Israel? So these verses are kind of controversial, even to this day, as Christians disagree on just what Paul means here. But to help us jump into the controversy and to make some sense of it, I'm pleased to welcome the Reverend Jeremy Klostermeyer, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Warrington, Missouri. Pastor Klostermeyer, welcome to Thy Strong Word. I hope I pronounced your name correctly.
1: Yeah, you did. It was perfect. It's either Klostermeyer or Klostermeyer, depending on where you're
0: at. But, uh, oh, excellent, excellent. excellent. Which do you prefer?
1: Either one. Just
0: don't call me late for supper. Yeah, sounds good. Well, Pastor, welcome to the show. Um, I would like to know a little bit more about you, and I'm sure the listeners do too. Even if they've heard you before, it's always nice to catch up. What What is God doing through your ministry and through the saints there in Warrington? Well, I've uh, been a pastor now for 21 years, and all of them
1: here in St. John's in Warrington, Missouri. I graduated from the seminary in 2001, from St. Louis Seminary uh 2001, and, and moved to Warrington and just haven't left, so I've been here. Uh, about a year ago, we completed uh, a building program that uh, we have a new fellowship hall and an expanded uh, entryway in North X and new offices, and so we've expanded our ministry in that way. Um, our preschool started yesterday, so we're excited about that and and uh, seeing all the wonderful little faces uh, and uh, being able to tell them about Jesus is a wonderful, wonderful gift. I have a wonderful wife, Karen, who teaches at the preschool and also drives school bus, and I have two kids, Kara, who is 21 and uh, a senior at uh, Truman State. And then I have a son, Gus, who is in his second year at Rankin Technical College. So that that is
0: me in a nutshell. Wow. Well, sounds like you have a lot going on. And, you know, God's grace and blessings to you on your continued ministry. It's not unheard of for sure, but I would say a little on the rare side to be continuing to serve your entire ministry at your first call. But Wow, what a blessing that is! Yeah,
1: yeah. they—I uh, I joke that uh, the congregation has uh, put up with me for that many years and has
0: uh, kept me around. So. I'm thankful to be a servant to God's people here. Well, we're thankful to them, too. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, brother, we have a lot to dig into today, even though we only have a handful of verses. In a few minutes, I'd like to maybe step back a little bit and see where Paul has been before we go into what we have today. But before even all of that, would you please begin us with a word of prayer? Certainly. Let's pray.
1: Lord God, uh, we are your children, your chosen ones by faith, and you have chosen us. And we ask that you would uh, bless us as we live as your children, that we might always remember that we are not your children by our own works, but by what you have done for us, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, that we might live forever. You chose to save us. And we thank you for your salvation. Bless us now as we study your word, uh, especially that you have given to us through Paul in this letter to the Romans. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you very much, brother. Okay, so as I said before your wonderful prayer, we'd like to maybe take a step back. If you would catch us up, what has Paul been laying out for us in Romans chapter 11, and where has he been so that we can have a good foundation to understand where he's going? Well, uh,
1: Romans was written to Gentiles, and, uh, but at this time of the writing of Romans, uh, there, the Christians were, uh, I guess you could say, intermingled uh, with each other, so there were Gentiles and Jews who were intermingled with each other at the same time uh there were always questioning with each other uh who was uh, who was really saved, who was the best, who was uh you know um, God's chosen people um and if you think about it for generations for well thousands of years uh Jews uh, thought of themselves as God's chosen people and that they were simply chosen because they were born into a certain family uh, all the way back they were part of Abraham's family and so if you if you're told this over and over again by your parents and your grandparents and by priests and uh pharisees and and uh, rabbis you would tend to believe it And so, uh, unfortunately, that's not who makes up God's people. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But uh, chapter 11, then, uh, is kind of telling the Gentiles that, no, God has not forsaken Israel, uh, but that you Gentiles are grafted in, uh, and I'm sure you talked about that, about how you graft a branch onto, uh, a, a tree or a vine to get, uh, uh, to cross, uh, crossbreed branches and make them stronger and all those things. And, uh, how we indeed are all connected, uh, going back to Adam and Eve, that Adam and Eve are our greatest parents, but that, uh, Mostly or most importantly, we are God's children, that He has chosen us to be His children by faith. That it uh, has nothing to do with where or to whom we were born, but it has everything to do with how and to whom we were born again uh, by baptism and by faith. And so, That's the whole theme of all of Romans, really, but especially as it pertains to the people of Israel and their connection and their
0: uh, relationship to the Gentiles. I love the image that he uses of the olive tree, talking about how, you know, you see this tree and that the natural branches, which are understood to be the Jewish people, Some of them were taken away, cut off because of their Mm -hmm. unbelief, because, as you said, they believed that they were, you know, they were in just because of who they were born to. And God makes it clear through St. Paul here that, no, it is by grace, by faith, not by works, not by heritage, and that even in this day, in Paul's day, The Gentiles are being grafted onto that tree. It's just such a wonderful visual, especially when we see that Jesus Christ is the root of that tree. But he doesn't want the Gentiles to become conceited either. As you said, the Jews have become full of themselves and conceited. You know, oh, I'm in because of who I am. But then when he's when Paul is explaining to the Gentiles that they, too, are being brought in and that in some cases they're they're the, the people of the Israel have been removed to make room for the Jews. He doesn't want them to be uh, haughty in the way that they understand their salvation either. So he says in these last few verses, he says, uh, verse 22, "...note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you." But then here's the caveat, "...provided you continue in his kindness..." Otherwise, you too will be cut off. But then especially important for our text today, verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Or maybe a better way to say that, I can't say better because this was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but maybe a clearer, in English way to say it is that if they return to faith, if they believe, they will be grafted back in. Because God has the power to graft them back in. And I think that sort of sets up what Paul then continues saying in verse 25. Brother, I'd like to go ahead and read the first few verses, maybe 25 through 27, and then let's talk about them. Now, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible, chapter 11, beginning with verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight... I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, we'll just stop right there. This is only three verses, but I think you'll agree, Pastor. These are some pretty controversial verses today, and they actually have been for a while. But there's there's a good way to look at this. There's a there's a proper way to look at this, in a way that's been uh, drenched in error over the centuries. Uh, take us through it. Let's begin. What's going on?
1: Well. Uh if you, we just take it verse by verse, if, uh, lest you be wise in your own sights, the, uh, Gentiles here, um, are, if they have their own wisdom and not God's wisdom, then, uh, you know, they become arrogant and haughty and, and they, uh, start believing their own ideas about what God is doing. And so, um, uh. Paul is saying here that uh, it goes above and beyond your understanding. So I want you to understand this mystery, brother. So it is a mystery. It's not something that we fully understand how God is at work, uh, but we do understand uh, how God has revealed himself to us and how some have rejected his revelation uh, or have rejected him, even though they know who he is. And so, uh, God, of course, has, uh, complete knowledge. He is omniscient. And so he knows those who are going to reject him, who are going to refuse to believe in him, him, who are not going to have faith in him. And so he has known those from the beginning. At the same time, he uses those uh who have uh, hardened their own hearts and he uses that to bring others to faith uh it's a uh, but also notice here that it says a partial hardening has come upon israel um so it's not a complete and total till the end hardening so it's they aren't necessarily condemned but they are uh are disbelieving for a time, so that uh, the gospel can come to the Gentiles. Um, I think of it in a more of a church way. Uh, that you know, if we are as a church, uh, if things are going very well uh, with our own members, and we are, uh, you know, we are full in worship and. Things are just going just great in worship. We got a full house every Sunday we're getting plenty of offerings and you know Bible studies full and all of those things. We can kind of become complacent and we are not doing what Christ has called us to do to uh, go out and make disciples and so uh we have this uh tough situation that causes us great concern, but it also causes us to uh, look out into our communities and out into the world to see that there are many, many, many thousands of people who have yet to hear the gospel who are to be brought in. And next week's gospel reading uh, for Sunday will bear that out as well when we talk about the great banquet. But um, that's kind of what's going on here in these first few verses.
0: Yeah, so I I appreciate you bringing out this idea of complacency. When we think about the people of Israel being made into a, a priesthood, of course they had priests, but they were also to be a nation of priests. It was God's intention from the beginning that his people would be a beacon, a light drawing all the nations to him. And a complacency had certainly taken hold of the Israelites by the time of Paul because they were relying on their own works or their heritage and in this text you know one commentator wrote that when it says lest you be wise in your own sight I absolutely agree with you pastor there's this there's this contra uh there's this there's this comparison between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God but I really found it interesting that one commentator said that it's almost like um, you're being a, a, a wise aleck, you know, wise in your own sight, because in the context of telling the Gentiles that they must not be, you know, vain and, and get the wrong idea about their salvation, especially when, you know, compared to the Jews. He says, listen, lest you start to, you know, be a bunch of wise acres, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery and the mystery really is, I would say, threefold. It follows. There are three mysteries here that the church has struggled with. First is, what does it mean that there's a partial hardening that's come upon Israel? And notice he doesn't say Jews or he says Israel. And then he says, and then what does it mean that the fullness of the Gentiles has come in? Like, when is that? What does that look like? And then the third mystery in the text we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, in this way, all Israel will be saved. These big three mysteries. Let's tackle this first one. You know, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. You you very aptly explained how, you know, not everybody is rejecting Christ. It's just a partial hardening. It's not as though all of Israel was condemned. But this partial hardening – has come until the point that the Gentiles have come in. Well, what does that mean, brother? You know, what does it look like that the Gentiles, that the, the fullness of the Gentiles, does that mean that every person on the planet that's not a Jew has to come to faith and then something's going to happen? Then maybe Israel won't be hardened. You know, maybe we should include this next verse, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. What does that look like? Help us, help us through that, brother.
1: Well, if you uh, think about the, the history of Paul and how Paul first went to the Jews in every town and uh, further and further in his ministry, he would uh, get more and more uh, uh, fight from the Jews in those towns and he would have uh, many... Pharisees and Sadducees uh, reject him and he would be, uh, you know, cast out of towns and things like that. And so, um, and Peter the same way to the point where they said, all right, we're getting, uh, too much, um, resistance from the Jews. And then God revealed to them both in different ways that they were to go to the Gentiles and to preach to the Gentiles. And so, uh, there is almost a thing that if these Pharisees and Sadducees had not given them resistance and had not uh, uh, given them a tough time uh, that they would have never gone to the Gentiles and so there's this partial partial hardening upon Israel so that uh God can show uh us and show the Israelites and the Gentiles in their own ways, that, yes, the Gentiles are part of Israel. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But they are part of the people of God just as much as the people of the nation of Israel. And so uh, sometimes God has to uh, use some tough times and some hardening of heart to wake up as people then uh, if you go on to verse 26 in this way all Israel will be saved well who is all Israel is it the nation of Israel it is those is it those who have been born into the family of Abraham or is Israel not a physical thing but a spiritual house Uh, a house that is based not on uh, those who were born into a specific family, but those who are born by faith. As we as we read in the book of Hebrews, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so who is Israel but those who are Israel by faith? And so those are the mysteries. Still uh why why God had to uh allow this hardening of heart and why he didn't just make it happen. Is part of our uh, our lack of understanding and why we won't ever know
0: fully this mystery. Even in Romans chapter nine verse seven, Paul says, "Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring." This isn't a concept that's foreign to Paul's writing. Speaking of the idea that true israel is made up of those who are brothers and sisters of jesus and sons and daughters of god because of the faith they've been given in christ uh, in in one area that i was reading when i was looking into this you know i found it interesting that some of what i grew up with down south was a lot of millennialism this idea that at some point mm-hmm. in history christ is going to come back and that the people of Israel, or I should say rather, the nation of Israel will have some sort of special place in God's kingdom. And I didn't realize, I thought this was a fairly new invention in the church, but I didn't realize it actually goes back to St. Augustine. St. Augustine, who has brought the church much great theology, every now and then doesn't exactly hit home runs. Sometimes it's a foul. And one of his fouls is that he had said that Elijah and Enoch would return and then convert the entire Jewish nation. And this Mm. theory of how the Jewish nation, not Israel, the spiritual Israel, really became fixed in the Roman Catholic Church, and then it was only during the Reformation period that we returned to this more biblical view. But in America, in the United States especially, you see a lot of Christians. In fact, the majority of the commentaries that aren't Lutheran that I looked into indicate that, no, this cannot be a spiritual Israel. This can only be a couple of things. One, the nation Israel being more of a political thing, or B, all of Israel that will believe, will eventually believe. So, so God has this holy number of Gentiles, and once he reaches that, then the veil is going to be lifted off of the Israelites, and they'll either all come to faith or a lot of them will. And then another view, which is also an error, is that the Jews are saved by means of the some sort of first covenant, the first way. They are saved by the law, and it's only the Gentiles who must trust in Christ. So, you know, have you experienced any of these different other views in your ministry?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think there are many who have Jewish friends and Jewish family members, uh, who would like to believe that that last, uh, theory that you talked about, that the first wave is saved by the old covenant. And so that they don't need to, uh, believe in Jesus as savior. Uh, but that, that would be a, gross misunderstanding of what this says in these passages but uh you know the whole idea of that we're all uh wanting to get to heaven we're just taking different ways to get there um people want to believe that because they uh you know that they have loved ones family friends who uh are good people in the world's sight and are loved but they don't see them, uh, believing in Christ. And so people have a hard time believing that these wonderful people will not be in heaven with them. And so, uh, the, uh, the want to believe a certain thing, uh, often makes, uh, tr- trumps over what God's word says. And, uh, so we, we can go back and forth with verse 26 and, and, you know, one will uh, say this and uh, that, and one will believe what Lutherans believe—that uh, Israel is not just a physical representation of a nation that was started with Abraham, but that it is, as Hebrews says, one that is by faith. And so, uh, I'm I'm glad to be a Lutheran and to believe that uh, um, we are all God's people. We are all Israel. Uh, saved by faith,
0: grace through faith. Absolutely. And with that said, though, you know, we still have plenty of Lutherans out there that are heavily influenced by their their neighbors who see it differently. Yeah. Uh, television commercials that tell us we must send aid to Jews in Israel because we as Christians have a duty to support them. And I could even tell you that in the New England a district office. It's held in a church, and in that church, they rent out their uh, their their gymnasium to a different type of church. And so, when you go to that congregation or you go to visit the New England district office, at least this is how it was a couple years ago. There are a bunch of Jewish flags hanging all over the worship space, which has been created out of this gymnasium, because the church that meets there is what we'd call a Zionist church. So it's very important, I think, that we explain to our fellow Lutherans how the way this can be interpreted is sometimes, yeah, inconsistent with the rest of what Paul is saying. Well, you know what, brother, I I do want to let you respond, but I'm right up against a break, so we are going to take that Break. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments, when we return, Pastor Klostermeister and Klostermeyer, pardon me, and I will continue our discussion of Romans chapter 11. You know what? We'll both see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723 welcome back to thy strong word i'm your host pastor phil Boo, and with me today is the rev jeremy Klaustermeyer, pastor of saint john lutheran church in warrington missouri Excuse me, I got a little choked on water right during the break. Hey, Pastor, before we took our pause, we were doing a deep dive on these first few verses. Do you think we can squeeze any more out of them before we move on? Anything else you want to say? Well, I think that uh, it's really
1: important that uh, our listeners understand that uh, the majority of us listening today are Gentiles. Um, And so we have been grafted in. Uh, And our grafting in has come by uh, God, the Holy Spirit, working through us, through our baptism, and bringing us to faith. And so none of it is our work, just like it wasn't the work of the Jews to be born uh, of Abraham, uh, but we all are saved by faith. And so Israel, the way God sees Israel— is not as a nation that is there in the Middle East um, that is constantly uh, under attack, but as a people of God that are chosen by him that he foreknew would believe in him and in his son, Jesus Christ. So it's always so very important that remember that we are his children. We are part of his family, the Israelites
0: by faith. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. We're just going to read verses 28 through 33, another little section here, and then we'll dig in because, you know what, there's some spicy stuff in here too. Starting with verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are Are his ways. All right, well, let's stop there. We could keep going. But he begins this part of it, continuing the thought. He's speaking still to the Gentiles. He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Who are they, Pastor? What's he talking about?
1: They are those who have rejected uh, the Messiah, who have. uh, uh, said that Jesus is not their savior and so uh, they have uh, they are enemies of God um, or as in the gospel reading for this Sunday that he does not know them or where they come from uh, at the same time he doesn't stop loving them but he wants them, uh, for God wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So as regards election, they are still loved for the sake of their forefathers. Now, who are their forefathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, who all were uh justified by faith, as we hear in that wonderful book of Hebrews. Uh, so this... uh Um, I want to go back to verse 27. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So his covenant, not our covenant, not what we promised to do, but what he promised to do, Uh, this will be his covenant with them, with, uh, with Israel, when he takes away their sins. And how does he take away their sins? By his son's death and resurrection. And so, uh, so as regards the gospel, verse 28, as regards the gospel, they're enemies of God because they disregarded, they rejected the gospel. Okay. But as regards election, as regards God's choosing, they are loved, uh, by God and he wants them, he cares for them to the point that he wants them to turn, to repent and to have faith. Uh, because, verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, that he doesn't take it away. He continues to give it until that time uh, when a person takes their last breath. He continues to give the gifts and the calling of God, even though some will reject that calling and those gifts. So uh, if you go to then verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. So Gentiles rejected God, but now they have come to faith, and so that they have received mercy uh, because of their disobedience. We already talked about that. But because uh, the uh, missionaries, the first missionaries, Peter and Paul, and uh, the disciples uh, got so much uh, resistance, they were almost forced to go to the Gentiles and then the Gentiles came to faith. Um, and um, in the past chapters, uh, we see how that made many of the Jews jealous. I like that. Uh, so that they uh, too have now been disobedient in order that they might be shown mercy. Uh, so they came then to understand That just as the Gentiles were saved by faith, they also, these Jewish people, have seen their sin and their unbelief as sin and have turned so that they may now receive mercy. So it's pretty heady stuff here in these verses.
0: Yeah, absolutely. pretty interesting. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regarding election they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers so yeah it seems like he's speaking to the jews or when he says mm-hmm. they speaking to the gentiles he's saying they so the they is the jews the enemies for your sake your is the gentiles what i find i think confusing and a lot of people do is when he says they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers you know in chapter 9 verse 5 he reminds us to them, the Jews belong, the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God overall and blessed forever. Amen. So he recognized earlier in the letter. He didn't want to discount that the salvation is from the Jews, that our Messiah is from the Jews, that God himself chose uh, as, a, as his people, the Jews. And so he says for the gifts of Uh, And the calling of God are irrevocable. Verse 28 of chapter 8 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we see here that God is continuing to work and continuing to love his people. But when he gets into 30, he says, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. Because of their disobedience. Now, I know you definitely touched on this. Could you explain just a little deeper? What does it mean that that you they've received mercy? That is the Gentiles because the Jews were disobedient. Could not God have shown mercy at, with a an obedient Jewish population? Oh
1: well, yes, he definitely could, and that's where. Uh, You know we could jump all the way down to verse 33 uh we our understanding is not god's understanding and so if god only did what we told him to do uh we'd have been gone a long time ago when this this earth would be uh gone but god's uh wisdom is not ours and how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So this is the way that God has chosen to bring salvation to all people. So he used the hardening of hearts of the Israelites uh, to uh, kind of almost force those that he had called to be his messengers to bring that message to those who were at that time uh, considered enemies and considered outside of the kingdom of God. And God had to do some miraculous stuff and he had to give Peter a dream and he had to give Paul a dream and, you know, almost force them to these Gentiles. And it was all because of the hardening of the hearts of the, uh, the Jews in these various places, and how uh, they were not receptive to the gospel, so you know if as as uh, pastors as missionaries, uh, we can bring the gospel to a certain group of people or to an individual, but we can't make them believe and so after a while of trying, uh, we move on, so to speak we let the gospel uh, have its free course. And, and so that's kind of what happened with, uh, Paul and Peter and the, and the, the missionaries in that first century, Timothy and, and Barnabas, that after a uh, while of receiving, uh, threats and after a while of being rejected and they, they moved on, they shook the dust off their feet and moved on to a, a different people. And that's how the gospel finally then came to the,
0: Uh, Gentiles came to the nations. Shifting directions just a little bit, we know in the next chapter Paul is going to be talking about how we as Christians or those in faith are now uh, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. But already in verse 30, we see hints of this. We see hints of this necessity for us to be uh, faithful to God, but not only in just our, our hearts, so to speak, but, but faith that lives itself out in works. So he's been making this argument that one can't just be uh, considered faithful because they happen to have been born or because of their relationship to Abraham, nor can you count on your works for righteousness. But then I, I like how in verse 30 he says, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God. Now, although you have to kind of read into it a little bit, We notice that's in the past tense. Paul does this all the time. He speaks to his people as if they are already faithful, as if they'd already set aside their sinful ways, as if they had already cling to Christ. And, of course, they are doing those things, not perfectly, but just a couple of references. In Ephesians 2, he says, you know, the sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work. He says in that same chapter, uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. In Colossians, he says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds with the idea that you're no longer doing those things. Also in Colossians, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. And then Titus chapter 3 says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So Paul is not afraid to speak truth to the people that says, listen, your life now means that you your, your, I'm sorry, your faith in Christ now means that you live your life in such a way that you put aside these worldly ways. Again, brother, we don't do that perfectly, but it seems like we sometimes forget that we aren't the good people that we think we are, that we receive mercy from God. And Paul's trying to make that clear, especially with verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on us all. How do you see that working out, either in the text here or even in uh, your ministry?
1: Well, I think what uh, happens to us is we are, I like to use the phrase that we're brought low. So when uh, that that phrase consigned to uh, sin, uh, I think is what it says, or consigned to disobedience, I think that is uh, God allowing us then to receive uh the the punishment or the consequences of our actions so that we might be humbled so that we realize that we have no hope to save ourselves apart from christ and once we are humbled in that way then uh, our our uh, attitude is changed our 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 whole life has changed you might say so that when people see us they don't see us but they see Jesus it's uh, how are you known how are you known then uh, in the world are you known as are you known by your sin for instance if you're a, a a gambler are you known by that sin of gambling or have you repented and turned from your gambling Are you known by the, are you known by your bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness? Or are you known then because you have turned from that? Are you known by your forgiveness and by your peace? So, uh, you know, James puts it best when he says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. It's a showing of faith. Faith exists on its own, but, uh, what we see in our lives is we see a continual repentance, a continual turning from that which is against God's will and a continual turning to what is God's will. So that we were at one time disobedient but now we have received mercy and because we have received mercy our lives look different. In the same way the Jews who had rejected Christ if they repent and turn from their rejection of Christ, their lives will look different because they will uh, know that they have received mercy, that they have humbled themselves, and know that they are not saved because they were born uh, to a Jewish family, but they are saved by the Messiah, by Jesus Christ the Lord. And so that is a a way of life for the Christian. It's a continual turning from sin and a continual turning to Christ.
0: It certainly is that. You know, Luther reminds us that we make the sign of the cross and we pray in the morning that we fall into no sin, and then every night we pray for forgiveness for the sin we inevitably fell into. The Christian life is a constant struggle. In context with the text for today, you know, I see that when he says, um, for God has consigned all to disobedience, I had to dig in a little bit. But that word consigned, because what I was concerned about is, does that word consigned mean that God causes us to be disobedient? You know, some have that understanding that, you know, well, we can't do anything. It's fatalistic. God has already decided the course of our lives. Or alternatively, if God already knows how the course of our lives will play out, then there's nothing we can do to change that. So thus, even our disobedience is God's fault. And so one could get that idea that God made the Jews harden their hearts or he hardened their hearts uh, against their will such that he could bring in the Gentiles. And yesterday we've already explained how that's not the case. But here the word consigned is, is almost a, – it's a slang word really, the, 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 the word that's in the Greek. It's, it's a figurative version of this word that means to enclose like in fishing. So in this – so so when it follows this idea that, yes, their disobedience brought about the opportunity for you to have mercy, Gentiles, then he says, but you know the Jews, there's there's the, the Gentiles' disobedience, so that gives opportunity to bring back in the Jews. And he wraps it all up in verse 32 that God has caught them all together like fishing, consigned, enclosed on all sides, a big net. God has – enclosed both of these groups Jews and Gentiles people in the past as you so eloquently pointed out us even today we're all caught up in God's net of disobedience he he puts us all in the same this speaks to Paul's uh, preaching that you know there is no uh, favoritism on God's part but then instead of destruction of what we deserve instead of he's consigned us all so that he could throw us back. He doesn't want us. No, he actually has consigned us to disobedience so that he can have mercy on us. And I don't know if you agree with me, Pastor, but I feel like verse 33 is what you'd call in the legal tradition uh, an excited utterance, something you say because you don't have time to think about it. You don't have time to plan it. Excited utterances are permissible in court for that very reason. And so here, Paul has been, you know, revealing this message that he's getting from the Holy Spirit, however he gets it. And then as he comes to 33, just in my mind's eye, I see an excited utterance. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. Perhaps – Perhaps that's Paul reacting to the revelation that he's receiving as he writes it down. What do you think?
1: Well, I think I agree with you very much so. Um, the phrase that comes to mind when I uh, you know see God has consigned all to disobedience, the phrase that I think of, and I can't remember where it is, but uh, um, it says, hand them over to Satan so that they may be saved. Um, it sounds like we're given up, but that's not the way it is. So, um, it's a, um, giving them over to their sin so that they feel the full weight and full, uh, trouble of their sin so that they realize that they're caught, that they're stuck, that they are not, uh, like, like as you said, caught up in a net that they, uh, have no way out so that he may have mercy on them, so that the mercy that they received is true mercy and not a misunderstanding that they somehow worked with God to do it. Uh, but that he, he rescued them from that net. He brought them out of that net. Um, and so, uh, as parents, sometimes we have to let our, uh, we can't always do everything for our kids. Sometimes we, uh, especially when they don't want us to, sometimes we have to let them fail so that they have the experience of failure, so that they, uh, um, are able to say, to see that they don't have all the answers, that they aren't, uh, all that. Um, you know, going back to the beginning, uh, verse 25, That uh, lest you be wise acres, as you said, or lest you think Mm -hmm. you know it all, uh, God Mm -hmm. is going to give you over to, uh, uh, you know, disobedience so that you realize that you are not capable of saving yourselves. And so, you know, on our own, in our own uh, logical way of thinking, humans would never think this way, but by the Spirit we are able to understand that this is how god is working and so um that is that uh, excited utterance that you mm. mentioned that once we understand once we see these things we're like wow god is so cool god is so uh, above our understanding that we'll never be able to to fathom how deep and uh, how wide
0: is his knowledge And how wide is his love for us as well. You know, he backs up his excited utterance by um, quoting Isaiah and Job here. Let's get these last three verses under our belt, both these quotes and also the doxology that Paul concludes this section with, starting with verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brother Pastor, we just have a few minutes left in the show, but I want to gift those minutes to you. You know, wrap up what we've been talking about, but also, as I like to do, give a message of gospel to our listeners, one that would benefit them, and maybe something that they can share with their neighbors.
1: All right. So as we look at let's just go through the verses here. We look at verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. Is there anything that we can tell God that he doesn't already know? He knows us fully. He knows how many hairs we have on our heads. He, uh, has the whole world in his hands and he knows the exact moment that he will bring an end to this world and bring forth a new heavens and a new earth. And so, uh, Sometimes we like to think that we can tell God what to do, and we sometimes do so in our prayers. But we always remember that it's his will that is done. Uh, and uh, verse 35, I'm reminded of the gospel reading for this past Sunday, that we should uh, invite those who are crippled and blind and lame to the feast because uh, they can't repay us. And that is a reminder of how we are, the crippled and the poor and the lame and the blind, and that we are never able to repay God for all that He has given to us. And so to think that we can uh, is foolishness, that we cannot give back to God uh, anything that would repay Him for what He has done for us. And then lastly, verse 36, from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things so we are from him and we live through him and to him we are saved and he does all things for us for our grace for our salvation sorry about that my phone started ringing there um but that's uh, okay you're a I'm busy re-
0: working pastor we appreciate <laughs> it
1: <laughs> i didn't expect that at the end but um <laughs> it's a uh, uh wonderful thing that uh god is in control of us that god is in control of the whole world that he holds the world in his hands and this is these last verses give us peace in knowing that he's in control and that he has chosen to give us mercy and grace through faith that he has not condemned us all but that he loves us enough to have sent his son jesus to be our savior that he loved us so much that he gave up his only son, that if we simply believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal life. Mm. So from him and through him and to him are all things. And so we thank the Lord that he is
0: master and Lord of all. Oh, wonderful. We'll leave it with God being in control and having love for us through Jesus. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Jeremy Klostermeyer, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Warrington, Missouri. And I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to thy strong word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we move on to chapter 12 of Romans, where Paul makes his appeal to us to put our faith into action to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.